No pun intended, but Jeremy's story has a story to tell. So does Dustin Clark. Both of these Texan fathers were arrested and thrown in jail over something they said at a school board meeting. I'm Martin Moya, your host of Shout Out Patriots. I'm joined by Pastor Jason Bennett. You might expect a story like this to come out of LA, Chicago, or New York City. But Round Rock, Texas? Come on, this is why we need Patriots everywhere, and we've got them here today. Right, welcome, Patriots. Glad you're tuning in, watching, or listening. My name is Martin Moyer. I am the host of Shout Out Patriots. With me today, as usual, is our co-host, Jason Bender of the Patriot Church, our pastor. Say hello, Jason. Hello, Patriots. Great to have everybody here with us. Joining us also is attorney David Carroll out of Columbus, Ohio. He's also chairman of the Christian Action Network, which is the sponsor of this program. So David, give a shout out. Hello, Patriots. Good to be with you. All right, we got Michael who works the controls and will once in a while pipe in and have a comment or two. So you might as well say hi, Michael. How's it going, Patriots? Glad to have you back. All right, today's subject is, well, it's got a lot of twists and turns, and we're going to try to keep it as simple as possible, um, but uh, it involves the story of two fathers in Texas who made comments at a school board meeting, and because of that, they were thrown out of the school board meeting and then later arrested. So we have those fathers joining us today via Zoom. And uh, we have Dustin Clark with us. He's the father of four. He lives in Round Rock, Texas, where all this occurred. He is a Army veteran. He spent 13 years active duty and did two tours in Afghanistan and one in Iraq. Say hello, Dustin. Hello, Martin, and hello, Patriots. All right. So uh, we got we got some audio issues there, but uh, we're going to get out that straight away, we hope. We also have Jeremy Story. Now, he's a father of seven. He lives in Austin, Texas. He's a graduate of Texas University, and he's the president of Campus Renewal and the founder of Every Student Sent. Jeremy, if you can hear me, say hello. Hello. Glad to be with you today. All right. So, you know, I'm going to start this off. I'm going to try to keep this as simple and easy to follow as possible. Uh, and I think we need some background information for our listeners and our viewers. And there's a protagonist in this story, and the protagonist is the school superintendent, Hafed Aziz. I don't know if I'm saying his name correct. Maybe you all can correct me. Uh, but the story, both pun and literally intended, revolves around the actions of this school superintendent with a mistress that he has. So, Jeremy, I'm, I'm wondering if you can just briefly tell the listeners and viewers out there who this guy is and what is the issue about him that is causing a ruckus down your way? Uh, Superintendent Aziz was recently hired and uh, he uh, was hired by our school board in June. <clears throat> he um, is, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm trying to transition to my computer so I can get turned on here, but he, uh, he was recently hired by our school board in June. He was formerly a superintendent from Donna ISD, and there was some, you know, uh, controversy around his hire because of some concerning actions that people had found that he had taken in a previous district. Now, what were those uh, things that he'd done? Uh, I understand he has, he has a mistress, or still has a mistress. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not real clear on that. What's the deal with him and the mistress? Um, well, he was dating another woman besides his wife, yes. Um, and uh, sorry, I'm trying to transition to the Zoom here for a second, but I just need to be able to do that. Um, and he, <clears throat> well, I mean, basically, uh, we did not know that when he first was hired. It's kind of jumping ahead in the story. I and mean, basically, we, we, when he was originally uh, being hired, he was declared to be the lone finalist, which in Texas, and Dustin could tell you this as well, um, it, you know, school boards wait till they get down to pretty much the last person. And then they give you a few weeks as the public to vet that person. And uh, opportunity to say, well, there's some concerns. And then they vote as to whether or not they're going to hire them or try to find someone else, maybe go to one of their other candidates. And so we were in that season of a two and a half week or so period where the public was vetting this particular final candidate, uh, Hafed Aziz. And uh, we discovered, Dustin and others, myself, that he had some very concerning issues from the past. But the main one was that, that's pertinent to the story today 
is that he had used the police in his district uh, to silence parents who disagreed with him. And one of the, the examples of that, the, the main example that we'd found at the time was uh, a lady named Raquel, who was a Hispanic grandmother, uh, about 68 years old. And she had received a restraining order from him, barring her from entering onto any campus property for two years, um, simply because she was speaking out against uh, actually a friend of the superintendent, not even directly against the superintendent. And uh, she received this restraining order. She never received a hearing or anything like that whatsoever. She just, uh, the people showed up at her, uh, the district showed up at her, her house with a restraining order. And that actually happened right as they were in the process of hiring Hafetazis for our district. So we were very concerned that, that we didn't want to see that sort of thing happening in our district. Right. Uh, okay. So uh, that gave problems to both you and Dustin. And I didn't you submit a investigation request to the school board to investigate uh, this school superintendent? What we did, um, and this is Dustin speaking, we did ask the board president and the board of trustees once we started to learn about this, um, this trespass warning that had been issued to this grandmother preventing her from coming down to the school district property among just as basic skills and qualifications in our opinion and in the opinion of many other parents, just he did not fit um, what was needed for a school district our size. And, and so we engaged the, the school board members uh, there's seven of them on our school board here in Round Rock, and we asked them, hey, these things don't seem to be uh, making sense here, and then we've got this concern. Would you, you know, during this three weeks, could you do some open forums between the community and the superintendent so that we could ask some questions, or at a minimum, do an open forum with between the board and the community members, and uh, the board, well, uh, let me step back, of those seven, two of the board members um, seem to share some similar concerns in terms of the skills and qualifications at that point. They hadn't known about the, the, um, the trespass warning on the grandmother. And, but when we did bring those things up, uh, five of the board members um, responded with uh, glowing reviews of the candidate. And then the board president shut us down and said, no, we're not gonna do any forums. Uh, we, 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 did, we did forums at the very beginning when we solicited feedback on what the community wanted. Um, interestingly enough, uh, we went back or I went back and watched one of the uh, board meetings where they did interviews of the search firms that were doing the searches uh, that were going to who they were going to pick to do the search for the superintendent. And the, the firm that they pick actually told them that they needed to do forums once they chose the loan finalist to give the community a chance um, to ask additional questions if concerns came up. Um, unfortunately, they didn't take, the board president did not take that recommendation and she denied us uh, the ability to have those open forums despite showing her and the other board members these concerns. And basically from there, summarizing and move forward in the story just for the shortness of time, it's, uh, you know, Dustin and I were sitting along with many other parents in that final board meeting where they hired him. And they voted 5-2, like Dustin said, to hire him. And we were basically saying, look, you might want to hire this guy, but what you should do is at least vet him for another week. Uh, give it a week or two uh, to see if these, con these, these concerns are valid. And what surprised us was that five board members said, no, we're not going to wait. We're going to hire him right here, right now, tonight. And I remember thinking to myself, what a strange thing to do. Why wouldn't you at least wait a week and vet him and, and just make sure, since it's the most significant board decision you're going to make. Um, and just sitting there kind of scratching my head. And as I'm doing that, um, the board president stands up. Her name is Amy Weir. And she says, oh, surprise, everyone. We have this new superintendent that we just voted in seconds ago. He's actually here tonight. And my thought immediately went to, where is he? Because I don't see him. I knew what he kind of looked like at that point because I'd seen some videos and things, and I knew he wasn't in the room. And I looked behind me, and they were pulling him out of a back room. Uh, and he had been there all night long. And as they pulled him out, two board members, the two that had voted to, um, to hire him, I mean, to, to delay his hire or to not hire him, they began to say, what, what, this wasn't on the agenda. We didn't know he was there. And I began to realize that those two were completely out of the loop. And it really, and I began to realize from all the board service I've done with a lot of other national boards that this board had worked behind the scenes, these five, 
or several of them to collaborate and to hire this guy ahead of time. That he came from six hours away in Donna ISD, drove there, really, I believe, on a promise that he was going to be hired because he already knew he was going to be hired. And that violates the Texas Open Meetings Act, which basically prevents people from having or boards uh, or even legislatures from being able to have backdoor meetings and do things outside of the public eye. It's, it's a very serious offense in Texas. Um, hard to convict on, but it definitely is a serious offense because it goes and undergirds basically democracy in our country uh, to see things happen in public as opposed to private. And it also made sense now why they wanted to rush the hire that night, because he was literally sitting in the back room. And it was a complete farce puppet show that they were even debating whether to hire him that night because they'd already made the decision. Yeah. So uh, both of you two are upset about this. And there's going to be another board meeting that took place on August 14th, I believe that you show up and uh, you got some points that you want to make there. Michael, do we have that clip ready to play? Uh, yeah, let me uh, okay. get it over here. So is it up? Well, it is about to be. It's about to be. Yeah. It might so, be good for Jeremy to set up. It might be good for Jeremy to set up what happened in July before speak, before he uh, came to speak in August. So to give some context, would yeah. you guys like him to do that? Yeah. So we're going to have uh, Jeremy first uh, uh, give some background to this. So I'll be really brief on this one. And basically, we began to speak out. I spoke out. I was pretty public about how I felt that the board had been violating the Texas Open Meetings Act and how they had been coordinating. And I was very concerned as to why they would do such a strange thing. There had to be some motives. Um, And as I began to speak out about that, I was contacted and got in contact with uh, a woman who I'll just describe as the victim right now. Uh, and she uh, called and talked to me and basically said that she uh, there was more to the story that she had been in a affair with the superintendent, that he had told her that he was not married uh, and that she continued in that affair under that assumption. And um, that basically um, she had become pregnant with his child right after the time that he had been hired by our school district. She actually became pregnant before, but she found out about it afterwards and she notified him after shortly after he was hired. And he basically responded back. These are all of her accusations, but they've been backed up with evidence that I've looked at, evidence that I believe to be very credible and that other people believe to be very credible who have looked at it. Text messages, uh, for one, where um, she said to him, uh, you know, I'm pregnant. What are we going to do about this? And he says, get an abortion. She says, uh, I prayed about that. I don't really feel like God wants me to get an abortion because she's a woman of faith, a Catholic a Hispanic woman who's also a very well-respected educator in the central Texas area. She's a high-level educator. Um, And so uh, he responds back by saying, well, uh, basically, I'm kind of skipping over a little bit of the text messages, but basically he says, well, if you won't, you know, this is going to ruin my career. And if you won't, um, you know, get an abortion, then I'm going to come take care of this kid and you too. So he basically threatens to abort his own child and assault his, uh, you know, sexual partner uh, and, and, and his, uh, his mistress, the victim. And so this, of course, concerns her as it would any of us. And so she goes to the school board to basically tell them that she's been um, in a relationship with the superintendent. She emails them and uh, that there's more to the story and she'd like to discuss it with them. But she doesn't tell them everything because she wants to talk to them about it personally. She gives them enough information, though, that they should have been concerned. And instead of being concerned, they basically dismiss what she says Five of them do, the same five that voted for the superintendent. The other two, Daniel Bone and Mary Weston, I I just got their names backwards, Mary Bone and Daniel Weston, uh, decide, no, this is something that should be investigated to see if it's even true. Are these allegations true? We should look into it. And um, they, uh, in essence, try to see that happen. The other five uh, do everything they can to keep it off the agenda uh, of the board meetings and and being considered. And so um, somewhere in the middle of all this, um, some of the board members notify the superintendent. So he finds out that the victim, the lady I'm calling the victim, actually has messaged the board. And his response, to, according to the victim, is he goes over to her house. Um, she lets him in because she's still hoping to have a relationship with him. Um, she's, after all, bearing his child at this point. Um, she's still under the belief that he uh, is not really truly married, um, that he's just sort of, it's just on paper, basically. And um, so she lets him in. But what he does, according to her, is he assaults her. Um, She has pictures of this, uh, of the damage to her. She has, of course, the emails and a lot of other evidence, which I can't discuss because it's under investigation. But there's other evidence that some of which I've seen that's very, very credible 
which makes me believe that she's telling the truth. I've also personally interviewed her with my wife present um, and found her as well as other people who work with her to be very credible. Um, and there's a lot of, re I mean, it's, it's a very, very credible evidence. Uh, and uh, out of this, so he, he assaults her um, and then he leaves. And actually what he does next is he files a restraining order against her uh, to try to, I believe, to try to keep her quiet. That restraining order is um, ultimately dismissed due to non-suit, lack of evidence or lack of willingness to pursue it. And the, uh, she then is able to file her restraining order against him or protective order, which she successfully obtains and, and maintains through the courts for the purpose of domestic violence. Um, and so uh, to protect herself. Um, and at the point that she's calling and talking to me, though, she doesn't have that protective order yet. She's running scared. She's hiding uh, so that no one knows where she is. And I'm left with, do I say anything about this to help this woman and take the risks associated with that and be a voice for her? Or do I just walk away from it, knowing what I know and knowing that there's probably only maybe myself and I don't know, a very small other people that might know about it, you know, and no one's talking. And so I opted to actually confront the board. And so I wrote the board an email. Uh, I asked them to, to consider it. I told them some more specifics. And basically, five of them wrote me back saying they weren't going to. Uh, some sort of discredited uh, what, I, what I was trying to say or the victim herself uh, and dismissed them as rumors, things like that. And I offered, I said, well, I've got more evidence. I'll show you what it is. There's some definite concern here. And they basically dismissed it all and said they didn't have any plans to talk to me or to talk to the woman at all. Uh, two board members, again, the two that I mentioned before, did say they wanted to investigate, but they were basically uh, stymied by the other five. And so I wrote another letter a little bit after that couple of weeks after that saying, well, if you guys are denying this and you want to hush it up and push it under the rug, this is a serious issue. I believe you're only hiding it because you unlawfully hired him in the first place and you're trying to cover up your own mistakes and goodness knows what else. Um, and so you should all resign and then we can just move on and everything will be peaceful. Uh, instead though, they said, nope, we're not going to do that. And then we were at the place of what you were talking about where I went to a board meeting, all right, but I'll only after trying to approach them via email privately. Now, before we play this, um, since some people are only going to be listening to this episode, uh, describe what they're about to see before we uh, play it. Um, they're about to see me being called to the stand to speak at a board meeting. Uh, and it's the board meeting in August. And I am being called up to speak by the uh, board president, Amy Weir, who's one of those five. She's kind of spearheaded a lot of ways, keeping this off the agenda. And she knows the emails that I've already sent her. Um, she knows that, that I, I know what I know. And she knows that I'm coming up to the stand. What she doesn't know is exactly what I'm going to say. Uh, she just knows that I'm coming up to speak. And she has called me up to speak. And I'm lawfully walking up during my speak, speaking time that I've signed up for. Um, and so that's what you're about to see. Okay. And then as you're explaining your story, um, uh, this she cuts you off shortly, doesn't she? But before I even get up to the stand, she interrupts me from speaking. I haven't even spoken yet. And she basically says, what you're about to say is going to be non-germane. And you can't, I know you want to speak about something that isn't germane. And so you can't do that. And so by the time I walk to the stand, I say, um, Mrs. Weir, um, I will show you how what I'm about to say is very germane to the resolution being debated tonight. Would you... Um, would you give me the time to share with you how it is germane? In other words, would you let me speak? And she says, I kid you not, she says, no, no, you can't demonstrate that. And so I said, <laughs> so she's basically clairvoyantly decided what I'm going to say. And then when I offer to present to her that I actually am going to speak in the resolution, she tells me I can't talk. Um, and so my response to her was not to yell, scream or threaten. I just simply said, so are you saying to me that you don't want to hear me demonstrate and explain this to you? Uh, so, you know, you want to hear me speak? And she says, well, um, no, I mean, yes, I mean, no. And she kind of goes back and forth. And so I just basically say, well, Mrs. Weir, uh, then I will proceed. And I began and I just started speaking and I was reading off a laptop, this exact speech. And I actually was the only, I think I'm pretty sure I was the only person all night that actually quoted one of the resolutions that we were of the two resolutions that were being debated. All right. Well, I we spent, got it queued uh, the up. Next so minute, we're going quoting to. That we're going to go ahead and hit the play button while it's working. You consider public safety today by violating the Supreme Court of Texas. 
Still, more, our superintendent has a protective order filed against... Excuse me, that is not part of... The basic rights have been limited in order to protect public safety, yet you do nothing. I have sent you several letters communicating this to you, but you are ignoring me. So as a result, he's violating public safety. He's violating public safety. And now you're having your own police officers enforce it against you. This will result in a lawsuit. All right. Yeah, so that's the last part of it. That's uh, you missed the first part where she's actually cutting me off before I even began to speak. But but definitely that's the last part where they carry me out. Yeah. So we we did shorten it up a bit because we know a lot of people are just listening to the show and, you know, it would be kind of confusing uh, hearing all the shouting and mayhem that was going on during it. Uh, but here they are. They're carrying you out of the building Two policemen, by the way. And that was on August 14th. Correct. However, uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. You. You were not arrested until, what, over a month later, not until September 17th? Is that right? That's correct. I was. We were arrested on uh, Constitution Day, I believe, Dustin. Um, that's correct. And it was, <laughs> it was one, that's how we celebrated Constitution Day, was be, being arrested, having the constitutional rights violated. Um, and what happened was the 16th was the day that the school district says that they received my legal complaint against them. Uh, and then the next day they do arrest me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a month later, not only are you arrested, but uh, Dustin is arrested as well. Now, um, I, I, this is a very long story, I understand. So, Dustin, can you briefly tell me uh, what happened to you? What, why, why, how did you end up in jail? Sure. There was uh, a board meeting, like you mentioned, about a month later on September 14th. And it, this board meeting, there were a number of things on the agenda because it's their monthly regular meeting. They usually have a pretty full agenda. On that meeting, there happened to be, uh, they were going to vote to renew a masking requirement that they had instituted back in August. And of course, they did this uh, mask requirement um, uh, against the governor's executive order. Governor Abbott had, had issued an executive order that uh, schools and government buildings were not allowed to mandate masks for students, but uh, our school district chose to ignore that executive order and they went ahead and did it anyway. And that's not why I was there at that meeting, but that I'm just kind of giving you some context here that that was on the agenda. So, of course, it brought a lot of the community members out, some for it, some against it. And um, they they started uh, the meeting. Well, actually, I got there about 45 minutes early and I had realized that uh, they had reduced the number of chairs in the boardroom, which has a max seating capacity of 375. But typically they have about 100 to 150 chairs. Um, in the room, uh, usually because not very many people show up to these meetings. But over the past couple of months, you know, things had, uh, had continued to uh, escalate in terms of what was going on with the board and the hiring of the superintendent and then these allegations and then the, you know, the COVID masking thing going against the governor's order. And um, so there was a, there were a lot of folks coming to this meeting, but they had reduced the number of chairs down to just 18. Um, and there was no uh, announcement about this ahead of time. There was no email from the district. This was not a policy that was uh, documented anywhere. This is not something that the board had put in place. Um, it was just suddenly there were 18 chairs in this room that typically has 100 to 150 chairs. And I happened to get there 45 minutes before the meeting started. By that time, um, the chairs had already been filled. Uh, I, I had I had a feeling that there, the or not a feeling, but I was told that there was a potential uh, by uh, somebody in the, um, a staff member at, at the, in the school district that there was a potential for them to reduce the number of chairs. And so I thought, well, hey, I'll bring my little folding chair and my little lawn chair. So I brought that with me. You know, sure enough, the 18 chairs had already been filled 45 minutes prior to the meeting started. So threw my chair out there. You know, I, I actually put it all the way to the back wall. I wasn't near anyone and uh, sat down in my chair. And before the meeting started, one of the district staff members came over and said, hey, uh, you have to be in one of these chairs. And I said, I have to, what, what do you mean by I have to be in a chair? And she said, yeah, that, that's the rule. You have to be in one of these chairs that are set out. And I said, I can't sit in my own chair. This is an open meeting, a public meeting. And I'd like to stay in the meeting. She said, no, you, you have to leave. And I said, well, I, it's an open meeting. I'm not, I'm not going to leave. She said, well, we'll let the superintendent and the board uh, and, and the police know. And I said, that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm going to sit here in this thing. I was peaceful. I wasn't shouting. It was just the conversation, her and I. And um, so didn't hear anything of it. And then we got closer to the meeting and more community members started to show up. And um, around this time, uh, the police, the Round Rock ISD police, so the, the school district has its own police force. And 
it's not uncommon in Texas, um, but they have their own police force and two to four police officers started to block the doors. There were some double doors to the uh, entrance to the boardroom and they were using their bodies to block the door. So the doors were propped open, but they were using their bodies to stand in the doorway and block the doors and prevent any more community members from coming in because the chairs were full, the 18 chairs, uh, plus a couple of us had brought folding chairs and say so they were trying to stop people from coming in. Um, once we got to this point, uh, a lot of the community members started to get upset about this and ask questions. Hey, why are you blocking the doors? And of course, no, I mean, nobody was being out of control at this point. And then the police officers would not answer. They would not answer why they were blocking the doors. And as the meeting started, two of the, the, the trustees, the same two that had uh, voted um, that, that had voted to not hire the superintendent, just asked the question, why are we keeping the community members out? Um, and there was some dialogue back and forth between the board members. And I think one of them, I believe was the board president, she might've mentioned that, um, that it was set up this way by the administration due to COVID safety um, because cases had been on the rise. And um, there was some discussion and, and kind of some tension about, well, where is this documented? And why, why, why are we just now hearing about this? This is not something the board has, has known about. And um, then the superintendent spoke up and said, well, it was my decision. I made, the, I made this rule. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that this policy was not being applied anywhere else in the school district. And in fact, right that night, at that moment, right across the hall, there was a room of about 100 plus band students rehearsing shoulder to shoulder with no mask on. And so it was a clear, this was clear proof and a clear sign that this policy was not about COVID. It was about controlling the community, controlling the optics, and controlling the uh, the citizens and the parents from being able to be in that school board meeting. And so the two trustees continued to kind of debate it with the board president, whether or not they were allowed to do this by law. The Texas Open Meetings Act requires um, that they give parents complete access. It uses the words complete access to board meetings. Um, and so eventually the board, the board says, well, well, let's vote on it. And they vote five to two. They want to keep uh, they want to enforce this arbitrary policy that was made up on the spot. And at that point, a little further into the meeting, the two board members that were there said, you know what, we, we don't believe this meeting is lawful because you're keeping the community out. So we're gonna recuse ourselves from the meeting. They left the meeting. And then shortly after they left the meeting, um, they started to talk about uh, an agenda item that was on the agenda called the property tax rate resolution. And so what typically happens is a couple months prior, they, or they propose a tax rate. And then at the, the meeting a couple months uh, later, which was September, they were going to just vote on the proposed tax rate. Well, they started to discuss adding a penny to this tax rate, which was not on the agenda. And so because of that, because they were keeping the community members out, at that moment, I could not stay silent anymore. And I said, you have to stop this meeting. You are keeping the community out. You're talking about raising the property tax rate, which is not on the agenda. You're only supposed to vote on the resolution that is the proposed rate. You're keeping the community out. I got a warning. If you don't be quiet, this is from the board president. If you don't be quiet, we're going to have the police escort you out. And I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit here uh, for time. And uh, I said, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be quiet. What you're doing is wrong. I don't believe this meeting is lawful. You've already had two board members walk out. You're keeping the community members out using police, which police, by the way, uh, at least in Texas, I don't know how it is in other school districts, they're only supposed to enforce penal code, not district policy. So they're standing there keeping community members out. They're talking about raising the property taxes. So because I got my warning, the board president um, uh, requested the police officers take me out. They escorted me out of the building. Uh, we got outside and then they let and then they kind of released me and said, are you okay? And I said, yes. And so they went back inside. I left the meeting completely. And then, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, three days later, they show up at our homes to arrest us both at the same time. And we know it was at the same time because shortly after I was done getting booked, I sat down on the bench and Jeremy came walking in the door. And so in each of our homes, they used two police, two squad cars, two uh, officers in each one. So they did this like it was some uh, sting operation on a drug cartel that they had to go get these two dangerous fathers that were speaking up and, and standing up for their constitutional rights. And they did it at the same time. We're different neighborhoods, different homes. 
and arrested us to spend the night in jail. It's insane to me that uh, these people would actually get the nerve to, I don't know, exert this kind of power over top of people like that's what they were hired to do or that's the reason why they're there is just to dictate to all the family members and, and parents out there on what their kids are going to have to go through. And uh, it, it just drives me crazy hearing this story that they were able to do all this to you guys. Yeah, it's, it's clearly a process of bullying and intimidation by the school board. You guys are facing potential criminal charges too. What kind of penalties are you facing? Yeah, they're, they're class A misdemeanors. And, and I did want to uh, state, and because I don't think I made this clear, the school district police were not the ones that came to our, our home. They had to coordinate uh, because by this time, you know, if, if we had been on campus, they could have arrested us there. But now that we're, you know, three days later at our homes, they did have to coordinate with the, the Williamson County Sheriff's Department to make the arrest. And, and that's where we spent the night in jail at the Williamson County Sheriff's Department. But uh, what we are both charged with, um, which is interesting because they're both, they're two, although similar, they're different, uh, different um, incidents. What Jeremy and, and his time to speak and me um, sitting there watching the community be kept out, but we were both charged with a class A misdemeanor, which is the highest misdemeanors here in Texas. And um, it was hindering proceedings by public disruption. And, and uh, you know, when they arrested us, and Dustin will po can point this out as well, but basically, one of the things that shows that they were that they are targeting us, like you just said, sir, is uh, our jail, our county jail has a COVID policy that actually states that they are to not arrest misdemeanors. Uh, they're supposed to focus on only and they're only supposed to arrest uh, drunk, uh, drunk offenses, dr drink, 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 driving uh, under the influence, DWIs, things like that, public intoxication, and then also like felonies, violence type stuff. Um, people with similar offenses to us were turned away uh, the same night that an exception was made for us to be allowed to be booked. Um, so you have to picture that this, uh, after waiting 30 days in my case and three days in, in uh, Dustin's case, you know, that they basically mobilized, they got a warrant around noon or so. And within four hours, they've mobilized two cop cars to go to Dustin's house, two cop cars to go to my house. Um, to do it simultaneously coordinated so that neither one of us would know anything was happening <clears throat> and then uh, created an exception uh, with somebody at a high level at the sheriff's office to allow us to be put in jail all within i'd say about four hours uh four or five and then they take us down to jail so they targeted us in a significant way and treated us very differently than just about anybody else would have been treated in a similar circumstance um, and we believe that's because we were targeted in order to be silenced uh, they felt that that if they could uh, exercise police force in this way, that we would be quiet. Uh, in my case, I'd be quiet about implicating them in their own crimes. Uh, in Dustin's case, that he'd be quiet about, you know, implicating them in, in artificially increasing the tax rate in an unlawful way. Um, and, and, and many other things that we were calling them out for and have been. And so, yeah, that's, you know, just even further proof of what you're saying about targeting. Right. And it yeah. also seems like it's a very good way to keep make sure that nobody else stands up for any of the things like you guys are doing. That's the most important point, actually, is that it isn't actually just about Dustin and I, really at all. Uh, Dustin and I both believe this. It really is about our community being silenced. It's like a gag order on our whole community that the board attempted, these five board members and superintendent attempted to do. That if they could get us to be silent because we simply were not going to just uh, go along to get along, that maybe everybody else who was uh, similarly situated would also be quiet. And, and that's what's so scary about this is that we can't let them get away with this. There's, there's no way, because if we were to do that, it would set a precedent that would silence not only people in our district, but potentially people all across our state. And if something like this could happen in Texas, then it would certainly silence other states that are even less free than Texas often is. Texas is a bit of a, a, a firewall for these sorts of things. So we see uh, that we have to take a stand, not only for ourselves and our district, but also our whole state and even somewhat across the country. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, Jeremy, and I, I want to add something to that on the intimidation piece, if I can, uh, gentlemen. It, it was really great to see, uh, and I think Jeremy would agree, that although that you could see that this was their plan, it was to, to create some fear, some intimidation, to, to keep com the community from coming and speaking up. But what we saw was that that plan backfired a little bit on them. Now, 
we are very round rock is, I mean, we our, our, it's a suburb of Austin. We touch Austin. And we have seen, I think Jeremy and I and many others that I've been talking to recently, in the last couple of years, we've seen a migration of folks coming, moving out of Austin, which is, we like to joke, we call it, it's the blueberry of Texas, because they typically vote blue across the board on, on many things in, in Austin. But we've seen a migration of folks moving out of Austin as cost of living and home prices have risen in Austin, they've moved out into the Round Rock area. And also we've seen an influx of, because my wife is a realtor, we've seen an influx of folks coming from the West Coast, specifically California, that have also moved into this area, um, thinking that they're fleeing what, you know, a high cost of living and, and these restrictive authoritarian type policies. But then they get here and they kind of vote the same way. Um, but kind of what I really wanted to point out, though, is that a lot of the community did come around us and rally around us. At one point that evening while we were in jail, there were some 75 to 80 people that kind of held like a little uh, uh, an all night vigil outside the jail for us. And there were about 20 to 25 people that actually stayed up all night long, stayed out there all night until we were released the next morning. And then a week later, um, they because that September 14th meeting, they didn't actually get to the COVID agenda item. They ended up tabling it to the following week and they held a meeting just for that. And they decided they were going to censure, not censor. They were going to censure the two trustees that had left that meeting for a litany of things. And this censuring would have uh, prevented them from stepping foot on, a on any of the school district campuses in their official capacity. So they realized that it was it wasn't it was backfiring a little bit. So then they tried to take it a step further and censure the only two conservative uh, trustees of the seven. And then at that meeting, so kind of to show you how the community came around us, at that next board meeting a week later, they ended up moving the location to a performing arts center that was it was owned by the school district. It was one of the high school performing arts centers. Um, because they knew that this had blown up, that they had kind of stepped in a pile. And there ended up, I would say, I don't know if you remember, Jeremy, there were about two to 300 people that showed up to that meeting, in addition to another couple hundred people that were there to talk, uh, you know, about that they wanted to keep the mask. And, um, but we had a good two to 300 community members uh, rally around us that following week. And I spoke at that board meeting because they needed to see my face that they weren't going to intimidate Jeremy and I into going well, Jeremy and Dustin, it's great to see you guys standing up. So thank you for that. And it's awesome to see the community just supporting you guys. But I have a question. So when you were arrested on September 17th, obviously that went against the COVID laws there in the jail at the time, which uh, Jeremy had mentioned. Did they give you a reason why you were there in jail overnight? Yeah, they said that, uh, uh, that it was because there was no magistrate available. See, they arrested us. Uh, you know, around five o'clock on a Friday, right? So another reason why we know it was intentional targeting. They they arrested us right at the time of day where there would be no magistrate uh, because it would be weekend time. And so they'd have to keep us overnight. And in my case, they specifically told me, hey, if you'll just come in right now, we have a magistrate who is um, available for you, who, who will process you and you'll be out in an hour or so. But uh, the second that they closed the door of the jail, uh, the uh, officer told me, another officer told me, oh, no, you're going to be here all night. And I said, well, but I was just told that that's not the case. And he said, well, you must have misheard him. Uh, the fact is I didn't mishear him. The fact is that they lied in order to get us inside or get me inside the jail, as well as threaten my child. One of my children, were, one of my kids was threatened because he refused to uh, give up his dad. Uh, and he was above 18. So they threatened him uh, by, by telling me, they basically told me that if I did not give myself up, they would charge my son with something worse than they were going to charge me with. Um, and for oh. in the case of Dustin, they in essence dropped his kid off with a neighbor uh, while his wife begged to give them just a little few more minutes to get her so she could get home uh, to be able to take care of their kid before they hauled Dustin off. Yeah, yeah and one little thing I want to add to that is um, having served 13 years in the Army, and, and I know I can speak for Jeremy when I say this, um, we are big supporters of our law enforcement officers. Absolutely. Um, but, what we, but what we saw on September 14th and then during our arrest on September 17th, I, I thought law enforcement officers would have made a, 
few different choices. In the board meeting, they don't have to follow orders of, of a public servant that is telling them to enforce district policy. Unfortunately, they did. And I don't, I, I don't know the full relationship of how that occurred. Um, I do know in Texas though, um, and, and this is something that we're gonna be working, try to lobby our legislature on, is that the superintendent is solely in charge and in, in, in the chain of command of the school district police force. And so here we see this intimidation and these, the use, what we believe is an abuse of power with the police force by the superintendent because he is in charge of them. And, and then what was disappointing though was to see those police uh, carry out those orders knowing that they were not enforcing penal code. And then to see a, a sheriff's department uh, make an exception for, for two guys who have no past criminal history, who are, were not violent, um, who were not making threats to any board members or community members in these meetings. And to, to, so to see that kind of coordination take place, it, it is very concerning to us in um, living in a county that we thought um, was fairly conservative. But like I said earlier, we are seeing a little bit of a shift in this area. We got about 10 minutes left here and there's some itchy people here with some questions. So if we could do a rapid fire here and uh, David, you got a question. Why don't you fire it away and let's see how many we can get in on these last 10 minutes. Yes. Yeah, so it, it's been almost two and a half months since you guys were arrested. So what's going on with your criminal cases? The county attorney is just um, is holding on to right now uh, and deciding whether or not to prosecute either one of us, whether or not to ship our case off to a separate special prosecutor in some other county or something, huh. uh, or whether to, you know, to drop the charges. Right. So do you um, see the other a, element is so do, there, do you there's another that? element that's kind of important in that question. And that is that right after I was uh, pulled out of the boardroom back in September or back in August, uh, am I right here? Was it August? Yeah. Back in August, um, I filed a complaint, I think a day or two after both with the county attorney's office and the district police about the incident. So the county attorney has had my complaint uh, at the time of my arrest for about 30 days. And so all of a sudden now they have an arrest uh, warrants or you know arrest thing uh, from the school district. And so the county attorney is saying that, well, he on the one hand has my complaint, on the other hand has their arrest warrant. But the thing that, that's telling to me is for some reason, my complaint, which was pretty detailed, took them 30 days to basically still do nothing, but the school board uh, submits something to them and they have been able to move on it in a day or so. And, and within four hours, have got some clandestine, you know, big sting for us. And so, um, you know, you've got this, this kind of conflict going on where the DA is, not the DA, sorry, the county attorney is holding on to that, trying to decide what he's going to do. And, and we've been told by our attorney that that's highly unusual. And our attorney would say that it's mostly probably because of the high level nature of this case and the political nature of it. So, so do you see that as the county attorney trying to do his job or do you see it as a part of the intimidation factor to keep you under his thumb, uh, under the government's thumb to, and keep it hanging over your heads? How do you see that? I'm going to, I'm going to, I want Dustin to answer that too, because I can tell he wants to. I'm just going to say on my part, I'm not speaking for Dustin on this one. I, I don't guess that I can't guess the motivation of the county attorney. Uh, I don't know what he's thinking, uh, what his motivation would be. What I can do is give a message. And my message is, I'm not backing down. So um, if, if the county wants to get sued, then they can go ahead and try to prosecute this. Um, my suggestion is that they don't unlawfully join with an unlawful school board, but that they separate themselves from the school board rather than getting themselves implicated in the midst of a of a, of, a, of a situation with a unlawful, out of control, tyrannical school board. Um, and I'm hoping, although I don't know anything about the county attorney's motives, I'm hoping that he is taking his time to do his job in such a way that he will not just act to, you know, in some political way, but will actually dismiss this case, which is what actually needs to be done. Because that's the only compromise I'm taking is that this case is dismissed and ultimately that the school board uh, resigns, that these school board members resign. Um, that's not uh, related to the county attorney, but in terms of uh, the, the school board members, that's the only way I back down with them. But the county attorney, you know, he needs to drop the case is my, my opinion. Yeah, and I would kind of echo a lot of what Jeremy said. Um, and, you know, Jeremy mentioned that he had made a complaint about the board. Um, 
you know, in, in August. And so the, the, the county attorney is having to weigh both, okay, I received this complaint from Jeremy, but then I also got now criminal charges against him. I actually made complaints against the board because uh, again, in Texas, it's kind of weird. The county attorney has oversight um, in terms of Open Meetings Act violations by a school board. And so back in June, I was making, I had made a couple of complaints on the school board. A couple of months went by, nothing happened. And again, I, I'm not saying the county attorney was doing nothing. You know, maybe he's doing his due diligence. And I, I hope that that is the case here, that he is looking at the totality of the picture. But like Jeremy said, I mean, I mean, my message is, is we're not backing down. And so either we're dropping the charges or, or we're taking this thing all the way to a jury trial. Well, you know, I think a lot of these people have dealt with uh, going around without consequences for so long that uh, if they were actually held to it, that they might uh, watch their step going forward. And speaking of consequences, guys, you mentioned the affair, the assault, all these different things going on with the superintendent. Is there any update with that situation? It's still under investigation. The TEA definitely has a thing on their website saying they're investigating his educator credentials because of some of his actions. And uh, Travis County has indicated to me that they're still investigating um, criminal charges. Um, and so in terms of the details of what they're investigating on the, on the Travis County thing, you know, that's, that's kept pretty close to the vest. Uh, but those two things are ongoing pending investigations. Uh, the, um, uh, restraining order, you know, has been in effect for a while. And I, I believe that he's trying to, or has already yet, uh, tried to settle with, um, the victim on the civil side of things, but the criminal is proceeding. And I think it's proceeding on multiple levels. And I also know that there's people, you know, down in his district that have filed grievances against him as well. For example, that lady Raquel has now, uh, as of late, late November filed a, uh, the lady who he, uh, held out of the district for two years or tried to, um, similar kind of using police force down in Donna ISD before he got here. Uh, she has now filed a grievance, a legal grievance against him uh, down in Donna. And so uh, that that's ongoing. The other thing is the censorship. Uh, like Dustin said, those two um, board members have filed a court case in order to got, got a temporary injunction to stop the censorship. And, uh, and they're in the middle of a court case to prevent that from ever happening, where basically the five board members are being funded by the school district to defend their censorship and the two board members are actually having to raise their own funds. Of course, Dustin and I are having to raise funds as well uh, to defend ourselves. And because we want to go on the offensive too. We want to be a, a civil because we believe our civil rights have been violated. Our families have been decimated. It's been a difficult time for our kids trying to explain to them. We want you to respect the, respect the rule of law, but they've also seen police officers and others uh, unlawfully act towards us. It's, it's affected our, our, our jobs. It's affected our, our daily lives. It's put us in a limelight that we didn't, we really want to be in. We're not necessarily striving to be public figures, but all of a sudden we've been forced into that against our will, all kinds of things. Uh, I know in my case, I've had personal information exposed. We've gotten threats, all kinds of things that have happened because of the school board's unlawful actions. And we intend to pursue civil action against them. Wow, and so, so we're actually raising money both for our criminal defense and our civil action. Yeah, it's, I, there's so many questions here, uh, but I do want you to give a shout out to how do people get to that website to donate to your legal fund. Yeah, that, that website is riseforstudents.org, R-I-S-C-F-O-R, students.org. So not the, not the number four. So riseforstudents.org. And yeah, like Jeremy mentioned, uh, a lot of the same things, even though, you know, I was talking earlier about a lot of the community coming around, come around us, uh, for everyone that has come around us, um, there's probably one that seems to be against us, attacking us, whether it's through social media or they, they've got folks that are even making YouTube videos now and, and posting them on various sites. And um, I've, I've had I had them reach out to my employer um, and, and, and try to say, hey, look at this. Is this the kind of employee you want? Thankfully, my, my, I was front with my employer ahead of time and have told them everything you know, along the way. But um, these are the things that they're doing, and they are working to publicly shame us um, in these different circles of people and coordinating and trying to work against us. So, again, very appreciative of the community that has come around us. But, um, yeah, this, is, this has been a tough battle. It's an uphill battle. And um, any, any financial support that we can get to, to help with the, not just the criminal side, but the civil side. So, you know, there's the criminal defense piece of this. Um, but Jeremy and I, we've stiffened our backbones and we're going to hold these folks accountable. We're going all the way. All right. Give that website out one more time. 
Yeah, that's riseforstudents.org, R-I-S-E-F-O-R, and then it's the word students, plural, .org. And there's a, a bit of an Easter egg there for your uh, listeners and viewers, and that if they go to that site, they'll also see uh, a sort of a rudimentary timeline uh, with even more details uh, of what we've talked about here, in addition to a video that you just posted, they'll get to see the whole video uh, there um, when they go to that website, riseforstudents.org. Well, Jeremy, Dustin, I really appreciate the two of you agreeing to come on to our podcast, Jeremy. We're humbled by it, uh, but we really wanted to tell your story. I know Christian Action Network supporters are standing behind you, and they're very interested in the development of this story. There's not much of it being told in the mainstream media, and it's about time because, you know, the mainstream media never reaches out to uh, patriots to get their viewpoint and their story about anything. If, if they do, they're normally told from a left-wing slant of view uh, about what took place. But here you are. You're able to tell the story in your own words and through your own experience. So I appreciate both of you agreeing to come on to our show and uh, One thing help our listeners understand that, what's It hasn't going come on. up, but it probably should just before you go, uh, is that, um, sorry about that. I didn't mean to interrupt. My fault. <laughs> it's hard on the Zoom meetings to see what's going on because it's a little bit of a delay. Um, it's just to say that, you know, you are the Christian Action Network, right? Um, Dustin and I are very strong followers of Jesus. Uh, we're unashamed in that, in our faith. When we speak in front of large groups or whatever uh, about all this, you know, we regularly tell people that the reason why we're able to do any of this um, is because of God's strength in us, because otherwise we wouldn't be able to. Um, you know, I, I serve as a full-time minister. Dustin, like he told you, his, his background. Um, I, I serve on a lot of different boards across the country. And, uh, and so related to faith issues. And so uh, our faith and, and really just being followers of Jesus is central to our lives. Well, that's going to be a wrap for us, but I want to, uh, you know, uh, Pastor, we're scheduled to have uh, who next week? I think this is important. Yeah, it's going to be Mary Catherine Bennett is going to join us next week. And Mary Catherine, she did something remarkable, didn't she? And it's right along these school boards, because if we're going to change this country, ultimately, you're going to have to change the schools. And if you're going to change the schools, you better watch over your school boards. And she did something absolutely astounding. And uh, in this area here, she uh, managed to get two conservative school board members elected through a write-in campaign. A write-in campaign. That's tremendous. And I think people are going to want to hear her story, how she did it, so they can duplicate it in their towns and cities uh, throughout this country. So I want everybody to uh, tune in to the following week and uh, get a load of her story. I think you're going to be excited to hear what she has to say. Again, uh, Dustin and Jeremy, thanks for coming on our show. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, us. Thanks, thanks for the time. Thank you.